This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. I took some this morning. I just wake up, throw a scoop of Athletic Greens in a water bottle that I keep in my fridge so it's nice and cold. I shake that up, sip it while I'm making my coffee and getting ready for my day. It's super refreshing. I love the flavor. There's some apple and pear extracts in there along with some stevia to make it delicious and not too sweet. And I really, really enjoy it. I look forward to it almost as much as my first cup of coffee in the morning. Why do I take Athletic Greens aside from it being delicious? Well, I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it really gives you all of the micronutrients to meet your daily needs. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to nutrition, but it can be really hard to get everything in all the time. I live in a van, I travel a lot, I go climb at cool little cliffs in the middle of nowhere where it's hard to get good food. And I just love knowing that if I have my one scoop of Athletic Greens in the morning, I know I'm covered. So check it out. If you want to try it yourself, head over to athleticgreens.com nugget. Athletic Greens is going to give you guys a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com nugget to pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This episode is also brought to you by Grasshopper Climbing. I've had a lot of great conversations lately on the podcast, and one of the things that keeps coming up again and again when it comes to getting better at climbing is consistency. There's no magic hangboard program or bouldering routine that is going to get you super duper strong in six weeks. The key to making lasting gains in your strength and your climbing technique is consistency, just climbing or training regularly for years and years. But consistency is super hard. If you have kids or you live in the city and have to travel a long way to the gym or you work a nine to five and the only time you have is the evenings and you have to compete with the crowds at the gym, it can be really hard to stick to a consistent training schedule. Luckily, the folks at Grasshopper designed the perfect solution. The Grasshopper board was designed to give you an entire climbing gym experience right there in your home. And the best part, they did such a good job with the hold shaping and layout that the grasshopper board will be right for you whether you are a complete beginner or you climb V15. It's incredible. It's so efficient, it's so good for training, and most importantly, it's so much fun to climb on. But don't take my word for it because the folks at Grasshopper just want you to try it out for yourself. If you want to learn more, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com or check them out on Instagram at grasshopperclimbing. Check out their boards and reach out to their sales team to see which board solution might be right for you. And be sure to tell them I sent you because the folks at Grasshopper are offering you guys, listeners to this podcast, $500 off when you order a fully kitted out eight by 10 foot grasshopper board, $500 or even more if you upgrade. Again, that's grasshopperclimbing.com to check out the grasshopper board. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Chalk Cartel. These guys have become my go-to when it comes to climbing chalk because the thing is, chalk actually matters. It's not all the same. And if you are an obsessed climber like me, you owe it to yourself to get the good stuff. Luckily, with Chalk Cartel, you can get the best 
quality chalk on the market without breaking the bank. Chalk Cartel sources the highest quality, high content magnesium carbonate you can buy. There's no fillers, there's no impurities, no bogus proprietary claims. This stuff is just really good, high performance climbing chalk. They also use eco-friendly packages because they care about the environment. So if you need a fix, head over to chalkcartel.com. Be sure to use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next purchase of pure uncut high performance climbing chalk. That's chalkcartel.com. Use code NUGGET for 20% off excellent climbing chalk. Chalk Cartel. Great chalk, no bullshit. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Eve Gravel. Yes, that is how you pronounce his name. It is Eve Gravel. Eve is 36 years old from Ottawa, Canada. And Eve is a V15 level boulderer and a three-time APL world champion. What is APL? APL is Arm Lifting Professional League, which is one of the leagues in grip sports. Basically, this guy has one of the strongest grips in the world when it comes to picking heavy shit up off the ground using weird grip implements like axle bars and I don't even know. Eve explains it really well in this episode, so you'll get a really good idea of what this guy does. But basically, this guy's been a really high-level climber for a long time. He got into grip sports. He's got one of the strongest grips in the world. And I was so excited to talk to this guy because I really wanted to know what he has learned from getting into grip sports and how he has applied some of those lessons to his climbing and to his finger training. And that is exactly what we talked about in this conversation. We got into the weeds. We really geeked out about finger strength in particular, but we also talked about his other forms of training. Eve is also a really thoughtful and smart guy. His tactics sound really good. We had a great conversation about how to plan your training around the very specific demands of your project that you want to do or your goal. And we kind of got into how he tackles each of the different pieces, whether that's trying a hard boulder and realizing that he needs to get better at micro crimps, he needs to get better at a specific type of shoulder move, and he needs to get better at doing 10 hard moves in a row instead of just five or six hard moves in a row, for instance. So yeah, I love this conversation. I thought it was awesome. I took a ton away from it. And for those of you who are into training and love hearing about this stuff, I think you'll really enjoy this one. Before we dive in, I'll just mention that Eve shared a lot of great resources. He talked about some of them in this conversation, and I linked to everything that he shared with me in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. So if you want to check out some of the spreadsheets that he talked about and a nutrition article that he mentioned and some other great resources, be sure to check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com for this episode. Thanks again for tuning in, and please enjoy this deep dive into grip and finger training with Eve Gravel. Any questions for me before we just jump into this thing? I think I'm ready I know to... I had, uh, I, I had a look real quick at uh, the structure and all that. Um, no, I think I'm good. Uh, other than that, that maybe in terms of time... I got till maybe 145, uh, my local time is about, about an hour 45 or something like that. That okay. I, can, uh, I can maybe two hours at the most. Uh, then I have to go pick up my 
my kids. But uh, yeah, other than that, yeah, should be good. That's great. That'll keep me focused. We'll just get to we'll just get to the good stuff, and uh, it'll be great. So, I've been really excited about this. It's really good to meet you. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm super excited to be here. It's gonna be fun. Awesome. Uh, first things first. I want to make sure that I have the pronunciation of your name correct. Is yeah. it Eve Gravel? Yeah. Nice. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Us us Americans are categorically terrible at getting foreign names. So um, yeah, that one's hard too. Like, uh, well, it's not hard to pronounce, but it's. Uh, just because of the spelling is kind of a kind of a little bit different, but there's an English name, uh, a female name, E V E, so it's pronounced the same way as that, just uh, spelled differently. Yeah. Gotcha. Is that a French name? Yeah, the French. Yeah, yeah. That's why I have a, an accent. French Canadian. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Where are right. you right now? Uh, I live in Ottawa, and uh, yeah, so it's like the national capital. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's pretty close. I, I lived, I grew up on, on the Quebec side, so which is in Gatineau, which is probably like 15, 20 minutes from here. So like really close to the border. So that's why I was introduced to English fairly early. So uh, yeah, I speak English. It, my English is okay. Not perfect, but... Uh, Your English yeah. is excellent. Your English is absolutely excellent. And you have a very faint accent, which is just, which is just fun. I, I really yeah. like accents. I think they're really interesting. I might stumble a little bit sometimes on the words and stuff, but uh, for most part, I think I'll be fine. Should be all right. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks again for being here. I'm I'm really excited. Um, I had heard about you, and I think maybe I had seen some of your stuff on Instagram, but it was the the film that you made recently about your one of your most most recent first ascents of uh, so what that V15 that you put up. Um, the actual boulder itself and the story behind it, but this. That film has like the most legendary training montage I've ever seen. And I have this absolute fascination with like grip training and finger training because it's something I've always really struggled with. And I'm just like, I have to talk to this guy. I have to hear. I bet this guy knows a lot about grip training and um, I, I have to hear what he has to say. But yeah, so I knew that you also had some major accomplishments in the grip training world, which I know nothing about. So to start this conversation, I'd love to kick things off there and hear a little bit about that. Um, You're a three-time world champion and not in rock climbing. So I wonder if you could tell me what is APL? Maybe if you could just kick things off with that, like describe what APL is, and I'd love to hear how you got into that. Yeah, so the APL is called the Arm Lifting Professional League. So it's basically uh, it's a, a competition circuit for uh, for grip strength. So they they have a couple of different uh, events. Uh, so grippers, um, uh, uh, axle, which is kind of like a thick bar. It looks like a deadlift bar, but like much bigger with a two inch diameter. And then the Saxon bar, which is a pinch bar, uh, three by four inch pinch bar. Same thing, like a deadlifting uh, bar. And then rolling thunder, which is a rolling handle that's two and a half inch. And then there's a hub as, as well. So there's a couple of different events. And so I got introduced to that a uh, few years ago. So for me, uh, I mean, I've been climbing for over 20 years. And uh, so, for, so for this, so this was a bit more recent for me. And uh, I got introduced to it because uh, at my local gym, uh, there was a competition. It's called the King Kong International Challenge which is uh, it's a competition that happens um, throughout the world at different venues, but all at the same time. And uh, so, yeah, I got invited to, uh, one of my friends invited me to that. And uh, I went there and I had a really good time. And I thought they went really well together because it's basically, 
it's very similar to the training we do for climbing. So I was like, oh, this is this is really cool. Maybe I could do like this second sport and, uh, you know, like mix the two together and don't have to give one or the other. So that's how it started. Uh, so I got started competing in it and I, I did quite well. Uh, I think maybe one of the reasons why I had a lot of success with it was because of the way I trained for climbing, which was always, I always enjoyed uh, um lifting heavy things and like doing a lot of training for climbing obviously a lot of fingerboarding and uh, campusing and you know strength training has always been a part that i really enjoyed about climbing that part so i think that's why i had a, a lot of success in the sport of grip uh, particularly yeah yeah that's interesting that's the one of the things i'm most curious about is how much carryover there's been from one to the other um going both ways like how much carryover from climbing to grip and that's really interesting because i didn't actually know which one came first for you so you you were deep into climbing before this came into your life um i imagine there must be weight categories in grip training because you're a pretty small guy you're a rock climber and I, i can picture like you know big fat 300 pound men doing these these heavy grippers and things Yes, there is weight category. And uh, for, for a lot of this stuff, it's like a lot of thick bars or like, you know, really. And the, it's not just the weight that's going to make a big difference, but also the size of your hands, which is going to be a big advantage. If you are really, if you're a taller person, you're usually going to have more purchase on the thick bar and stuff, which is going to give you a big advantage. So that's always been one of the struggles that I face as a smaller, uh, smaller athlete. Um, yeah, it's just, you, and I think in, in climbers in general, if they're taking, thinking of doing grip, uh, grip sport and stuff like that is, uh, we, a lot of us tend to be a little bit smaller compared to maybe some of the, you know, the, the average grip athlete, which has, a, a lot of carry over to, to strong men and stuff like that. So they, they mix up really well together. So, um, so that's, that's. That's kind of like the interesting part. But what's interesting for climbing is I, I think we we could really represent uh, climb. We can really us climbers, we could really represent ourselves well in that sport and like really make an impact in that sport in the lower weight class. I think like, uh, yeah, I think I think that we have a lot of potential uh, in in those categories, I think. Yeah, that's that's awesome to hear because I'm picturing. Can you describe what a grip competition looks like as far as the people there the atmosphere i'm picturing like a powerlifting meet or something along those lines yeah it's i think it's very similar to that so it's like so when we were at the world championship it was like basically uh it looked almost like an arena with all the like a bunch of chairs and stuff like that spectators at the front and then you have a stage and then at the back there's a little warm-up area and then they call up your name and you have to give out your the weight that you're planning on on uh on attempting and stuff like that. So there's a lot of strategy, which is really cool too. Cause like, you know, you, you don't want to lift too much because then, you know, you, you want to try to stay competitive, but at the same time, not going crazy. You just want to do enough so that you have a chance at winning and stuff, but not going like all out and like, like showboating and stuff. So there's a lot of strategy into it. And then you can change your weight to at the last minute too. So it's uh find it pretty interesting. So, yeah. Is it like powerlifting in that the winner is some combined total of all these different lifts or do you specialize in like one specific lift that you're best at? Yeah. It depends on the competition. I've, uh, so like when we, at the world championship, there was uh, medals for each, uh, each event. 
but there was not an overall, but I did a lot of other ones. So like on the Canadian circuits that, or, the, or the King Kong, that's more of an overall thing. So there's no individual medal, but it's the overall. Uh, yeah. So okay. it, it depends on the, I I've seen two, uh, kind of like two brackets of two different types of categories. The ones kind of like the APL where it's always the same events. So they never change the implements and stuff, but, uh, so it's always the same thing. And then there's another one. It's a little bit more kind of like um, inspired or based a lot on strongman competition where it's always going to be different implements. So every time you go to a competition, you're not too sure what's going to be there or like you're going to know only like a few months ahead of time. So it's kind of nice because there's different strategy for it. So obviously, if it's always the same thing, like uh, I think the level is really going to get pushed because people are going to train the same thing and obviously the the level of difficulty and the the uh, specialization in each uh, each event is going to be a lot higher compared to something that keeps changing every few months but uh, then then again there's a lot of strategy and plus yeah you get to see who's a better all-around athlete i think uh, in in that uh, in that category that's what i've seen too is like at the APL, there's there's specialists that'll just specialize in one event. So people that are very strong at gripper or take bar, and they're just there to compete in that event. So they'll do really well. But then there's people that do a little bit of a all around. So different different strategy, I guess. And where did you find your success in that sport? Was it um, as far as being a three time world champion? Was that like the combined total at the APL? Uh no, I like it. I. I think I've, I'm pretty strong. Yeah, I'm pretty strong all around. Like I don't have like a big weakness or anything like that. Uh, uh, I think I'm pretty competitive in most most discipline. But uh, yeah, I think I have pretty more of an all around. At I can do well at every everything. I think I don't really have big weakness. There's some that are a bit trickier for me that takes more training. So thick bar, I had to put a lot of training into it, or uh, axle deadlift, which. I've never been a deadlift specialist, so I had to put put a lot of time into like my technique and like doing a bit more volume so that I to prevent injuries and all that. But uh, yeah, I think for most, I, I think I do pretty well in all the events. Okay, I mean that's it's fascinating to me to hear that this came into your life in the last few years. You've climbed your hardest boulders in the last few years, and you've also figured out how to become a world champion in this other sport. So they, I have to imagine they must complement one another pretty well, or like, are you able to train both at the same time? Or do you have different seasons where you're focused on these different, these different things? Yeah, if there's big events, I'll, I'll focus on one. I, I don't try to be uh, kind of like all around. I don't try to be like a really good at outdoor climbing and then really good at, com- if I have a competition that I want to get ready for, then I'll put my focus a bit more on that. And then if, if outdoor season is coming or something like that, then I'll put all my focus into my, uh, my climbing goals. But I, you like, there's a good carryover. You could do well at both together, but, uh, yeah, usually for, especially for the climbing goals that I had recently, I fo- I decided to focus completely on my my climbing and uh, yeah for for me the limitation that I have in my climbing is not really my finger strength and all that too it's like more it's different aspect that I had to work on to improve uh, yeah so it's not it's not my fingers that it's the limiting factor so yeah well I want to I want to dive into that I'm curious to hear how you got to that point because I think it's 
I mean, for, for I think 99% of climbers out there, finger strength is the limiting thing on most of the things that they try. You know, it's like our connection to the rock and it's, you, you, no matter how strong you are on one arm pull-ups, if you can't hang on to the hold, then you can't do the move, you know? Um, yeah. So I'd love to hear how you've, how you've gotten your fingers so strong. Is there... One of the reasons I was so curious to talk to you is because there's this entire sport that literally is grip, like getting your fingers as strong as possible. And I have to imagine, you know, I talked to so many people on this podcast that are high level climbers and everyone's kind of still figuring it out. You know, some people just climb a lot. They just climb on hard stuff all the time. Some people hangboard, but they hang on that 20 or that, that center rung on the beast maker. And that's the only thing they ever hang on. Some people do a huge variety of different stuff. So we're still like, you know, there's no clear best way that's established in climbing to get your fingers stronger. Having come from climbing and gone into grip, is there, how established is like the training methodology in grip? Are, are people just doing tons of different things or does everyone know like this is the best way to train for these specific events? Like what, what did you learn going from climbing into this sport of grip? So what I got, so what I've learned a lot from, from grip, obviously the, one of the things is lifting from the, from the floor. So the deadlift type method, but I think that's more because it's more specific to demand that to the demand of the sport. That's what we usually do when we compete in, in grip, we lift from the floor, right. And climbing, I think we're more used to hanging like on a hangboard just because of the background of like, okay, we have hangboards and we usually have our hands over our head when we pull. So just makes sense for the demand of the sport. That's, that's how it, it were, it was geared towards to what I got from grip. Uh, that was really interesting. A lot of the protocols and uh, the training ideas, I think they're based a lot on powerlifting which makes sense again, because if you look at it, when, if you, same thing, it's again, if you look at the demand of the sport of grip, and then you look at the demand of climbing, they're very different. They sound maybe at first, if you look at the finger aspect, they may sound a bit uh, similar, but they're very different. So when we're competing in grip, so our goal is to lift once the heaviest we can. There's no there's no like you know there's no time or anything like just bring it to to lock off and then bring it down so obviously uh you want to spend a lot more time on maximum strength and really be able to do like those really really heavy lifts and then climbing it's a bit more complicated because then you, you again you have to look what exactly you're trying to achieve in 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 climbing okay it's like and what I do, I think one aspect that I had a lot of success with, especially recently, is I try to look at what, what am I trying to achieve? So I'll look at a boulder, say I look at a boulder or projects that I have in mind, and I'll try to look at the number of movements, you know, the, the angles, uh, the type of holds and all that. And I'll base my training based on the demand of, of this, this, those particular boulder. And it makes a lot of sense because that's one of the advantages I think we have uh, as outdoor boulders or climbers and is we get to choose what we want to climb. Mm. So you can have a lot of success, even with limited amount of training time. If you specialize in a, like a special, you can have your niche, your own niche in, a, in, in your own climbing. So say when I started looking at a lot of the hard boulders I wanted to do, I started noticing a few things that always showed up. You know, they had a lot of, a lot of them had really bad crimps. So I was like, okay, so, so that's one thing. 
The other thing I noticed is they're really demanding on body tension. The feet tend to be small and you have to keep your feet in. So, okay, so that's another thing. And then I started looking at the length. So then this is where it kind of varies, but I've noticed that a lot of the boulders that I wanted to do, especially like the project that I have now, like a, say V15 or up, there are a lot of the times they're link ups of like, say a V12 into a V13 or a V14 into this. So they're longer boulder, usually about nine or a bit more than that, nine, 10 moves long, and you're going to link two section. So I started looking at that. So, okay, I'm going to need more than just like, really crazy power to do just like one rep max. And that's one of the big struggles that I had was I always had the, the power to do the move individually, but linking them was a big problem. So I started focusing a lot more on power endurance and being able to link up, you know, hard boulder after hard boulders. And that's why I had the, a lot of, especially recently, uh, when, when you look at kind of like boulders, like so what's and stuff like that, just because I, now I have the capacity to link up a lot of different dif difficult moves one after the other. So that was one, uh, one of the key things that, uh, that happened recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is great. Okay. So from this story of, um, analyzing a boulder that you want to do, you've got these three takeaways you've got, okay, small crimps, lots of body tension, keeping the feet on and trying to do more moves in a row, nine or 10 moves. I'd love to hear how you attacked each of those three things. Um, I think in that video of So What, you said you took like, maybe you had tried the boulder in the past and then you took like a four month chunk of time to just train specifically for that boulder problem. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how you would work on each of those three elements in your training. And I, I'd also love to hear, because we haven't talked about this yet. One thing I'm really, I'm always curious about, is it possible in your opinion to combine outdoor climbing with improving your strength to a significant degree? You know, it, I find it quite hard. I've been living on the road for the last couple of years and I find it quite hard to find an amount of finger training that actually gets my fingers stronger over time that doesn't take away from my outdoor climbing too much. Like there's, I think there might be a sweet spot there, but it's yeah. really difficult to zero in on that and maybe maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Like maybe we actually do need to have an off season, a training season and just focus that time in the gym to, to really make lasting gains. Um, so yeah, let's start with that. Do you think it's possible to combine outdoor climbing with your finger training or do you keep those things separate? Yeah, I do actually. Like I always, I usually always keep a good base of strength training and uh, f finger training throughout the year. Uh, how, so for me, uh, so put maybe a little bit more context into it. So usually most of the climbing I do is local stuff in the spring and fall season. Uh, I don't get to travel that much uh, right now. It's a little bit more difficult. So so most of the climbing I do is local. And uh, same thing, like I have a full-time job and like a business and all that. So most of the climbing I do is like, I'm more of like what we could call like a weekend warrior. So where I'll climb like once or twice a week. So what I'll do, I'll focus. So I'll, I'll focus every, I'll, I'll get my, during the week I'll train and stuff and then progressively bring down the level of fatigue and the volume down just before I go out outside. So I, I got really good at peaking just for that one day a week where I would I'd be really strong on that day. And then the rest of the week, you know, like you're a bit more tired, you build up a little bit of volume. And then like I peak up for that, just that session. And then same thing too, like I get to analyze. So I usually try like, say if it's a, a bull that I've been working for a few weeks, I get to go back and feel it's like, okay, what do I have to work on to like improve 
to be able to send the boulder and I get to reassess basically what I've done in training. Is it working? What do I need to work on to be able to, to do the boulder? That's been kind of like my process uh, for the fall, the spring and all that. And I think that's one of the advantages you get as well as for if you're training locally, right? It's maybe it's not something you get to do on a trip where you li- you leave, you go for uh, one, two weeks or something like that. And then like you just do your climbing, you're going to, that's going to require a different approach. But if you're like doing something local, I mean, you can, you don't really have any stress like about, okay, I got to do this right now. You can really relax and just like, you know, I'll just, I'll just do my training. If it doesn't happen this time, I'll come back and I'll, I'll do it next time. I'll get a little bit better and I'll figure out what I need to do to, uh, to be able to send it. So that's been kind of like my, my approach to lo- more local type of boulder. Uh, if I go on a trip, then it'd be really different. So like next week I'm leaving for Waco. It's like the first, first oh, no time way. I do a trip in like over two, yeah. in over two years since the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now my approach was very different. So I decided to take the trip about two months ago. And so, yeah, I did like two cycles and just to prepare for that. And one of the issues that I have with basically what, what I used to do is, uh, so I was really strong at doing like these type of boulders, but I don't have a lot of, uh, stamina. So I won't be able to last for very long. So usually I go for a climbing trip, you know, I'll give a few tries on my project and I'll go back home, you know, it's like, there's no, there's no problem there. But now that I'm going on a trip, I really started progressively, uh, building up the volume so that, uh, I'm going to be able to endure, endure like day after day of outdoor bouldering and stuff and being able to do a lot of stuff, you know, which is going to be really important. On the last trip, I didn't do that. And like, you know, you get, you get burnt out. Like if you're not used to training almost every day or climbing every day on rock, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really hard. So that's what I've been working, like building more capacity to be able to, and also to reduce the risk of injury. Right. Cause, uh, if, again, if you, if you're used to training like an hour or two, two hours or something like that, and then all of a sudden you go on a trip and then you start uh, going outside for like four or six hours a day. Well, you're going to run into some problem. And then that's where I see a lot of people getting injured as well. Like when they go on trip, it's like they're not really prepared for the, oh, they get really excited, right? They're like, all they want to do is climb every day, but they never did that. Like they, they get bruises and all that. And that's when the fingers injuries start to happen as well, just because they're spiking up their workload. So yeah, I'm going kind of off course, but <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. Sometimes yeah. I just, uh, sometimes I just start talking and I, yeah, forget a little bit what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm very interested. No, this this kind of context and hearing how you think about this kind of stuff is awesome. It's it's always super helpful. Um, one quick thing, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm actually parked in the dirt at a campsite like two miles from Waco Tanks right now. No way. I, I think we're just going to miss each other, unfortunately. Yeah. No way. When uh, when are you leaving? I think I'm going to leave like Wednesday or Thursday, but I'm not 100%. Week, so okay. I'll, I'll be sure to let you know if I stick around. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I get there next Monday. Okay. Next Monday. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm really excited for you. It's it, it's just, this has like become my favorite place in the world. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you though? It's yeah, that's really interesting to hear that you you can climb as a weekend warrior and train really hard, but also feel like you're peaking every Saturday or whichever day it is. Can you talk me through how you might structure a week? Because um, 
you know, just to hit on like the things that I saw in that video of so what, you're doing a lot of different things in your training. You're doing a lot of different types of finger training that are specific to climbing on hangboards, picking heavy things up off the ground, using like blocks and, and stuff. Um, weightlifting as well. Uh, I've, I've watched you campus. I've watched you climb on the moon board. So what, how might you structure a week if you're in that kind of uh, cyclical process of training during the week to peak on the the weekend day for your project, what might that look like? Yeah. So say, say if we, uh, my climbing day is on, on Sunday or something go on. Yeah. Usually it's one day. Usually it's rare that I'll go two days in a row, but say if it's like Sunday is my climbing day. Uh, so I usually gonna, yeah. So we'll start maybe on Monday. If I climb on this, on, it depends again, if you climb on this on the Sunday, then usually uh, the day after that, it's going to be a bit lighter day where usually I'll do like some uh, volume or so either conditioning, conditioning type of circuit training. Uh, and then uh, I can do some finger training as well, so, but I'll keep the load a bit shorter, like smaller amount of load. Uh, so like the, the volume of my climbing is going to be a bit smaller and then the intensity is going to be a bit smaller. And then uh, after that, usually gonna t- probably going to take a rest day. And then I would do probably three three sessions after that with uh, high. I'll vary the intensity. Uh, I should have actually just write one down for you. It's kind of like hard to do on the on the spot, but uh, well, let's let's try to describe it, and then I would love to get um, have you write it out for me, and I'll share it in the show notes for people that are listening after yeah. the fact. But yeah, let's. So I'll play a lot with the 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 volume uh, during the week. So what, one thing that I do is I uh, I try not to always have kind of like the same thing. Mononymy, monotony, monotony. Is that how you say it in English? I think so. Yeah. So all monotony. Kind of like yeah. so I'll vary. I'll vary a lot with the my 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 training load. Some some days are a bit bit smaller, and then I have like days where I'll do like kind of like the fingers, and I'll have a strength training session or like a session on the wall. So I'll mix the two. So finger and a, a board session, and then there's a day that I'll put just like the board session, and then. After that, that's that's usually I'll take a rest day just before I go out. So I try to get the the volume after early week. I kind of like slowly go up to Wednesday where the load's gonna go pretty high, and then I'm slowly gonna bring down the volume down. So I'm gonna bring down the the volume. I'll keep the intensity high, but I'll bring the volume down till when I just before I go climbing. Then I'll take a rest day right before, and usually gives me like a little peak. Yeah. Okay. So Monday, you'll climb on Sunday, try to perform on your project. Monday, yeah. you train, but it's your one of your lightest days. Tuesday is yeah, a little Yeah, I'll heavier. probably do some conditioning or sometimes I'll have a little bit of a finger board, a short board session. And then after that, if I do like just the, fin- the conditioning, then on Tuesday, I would probably, I will probably train again. I'll do some, some fingers and a board session. And then I'll probably just going to do say like a board session and then fingers and then, yeah, slowly bring it back down. Yeah. Okay. Wednesday's your biggest day, and then Thursday's a little lighter. Do you train on yeah. Friday, Saturday at all, leading into the... Not, I wouldn't train Saturday, but I would probably train Friday, yes. I would okay. probably have a, a short a board session to keep the specific, specificity uh, pretty high. Yeah. So, yeah, probably a board session. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that. yeah, that's really interesting. That's a hell of a lot of training for, for most people. And it sounds like your sessions for the most part are pretty short, but it sounds like you're having like only one true rest day per week where you're just really not doing anything. Is that right? 
Yeah, most of the times I, I'll train like, I'd say six days a week, sometimes even seven. If it's like on the other day, I'll do like some conditioning or a cardio. I started doing a little bit of cardio as well, too. So, yeah, I'll, I'll try to mix different things uh, into it. But you just get I don't think there's training at a high load or like having a, a lot of training. A lot is not the issue, but it's what you're prepared for. Right. So like as long as you progressively get your body used to doing something like that, then there's not an issue. But if you all of a sudden mm. say, uh, say you, you're used to climbing in the gym like three days a week, and then all of a sudden you decide to do finger training, keep all your training, all your climbing you've been doing, and then you had like a finger protocol, like say three days a week, then you're probably going to run into some problems because you're going to add, you're probably going to spike a little bit the, the, the load of your training. So as long as you can work your way up, slowly build up that, that, that volume, um, then yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. How I'd love to hear about that for you. Like, have you intentionally tried to build up your training volume over time or have you always yeah. trained this way? Yeah. Especially like recently now I've been, I've been focusing a lot more on like capacity building volume, being able to climb multiple days, especially with the the, the trip that I had coming up like next week. So I really building capacity, knowing that I can train and climb hard pretty much every day, you know, and then be able to recover. So I spend a lot of time to working a lot too on my, my, uh, my, my diet and stuff making, uh, I did, I started studying a lot into that and looking into that. What do I need? It was the first time I actually started tracking what I was eating and looking. And it was a kind of like an eye opening experience too. Cause if you've never done that experience, like encourage people to, tr to try it. Cause like you realize you're like, Oh my, I, I realized, I never realized how bad my nutrition actually was. And how would like, like my macros were like really off and stuff. And I was like, so I, I did this exercise and I was like, Oh my God, it's like, it's not, I'm not even hitting in anywhere close to what I'm supposed to like in terms of protein and stuff like that. Like you learn, like, you know, you think some of the stuff you're eating is, is good, but then you, you figure out that it's like, well, not as good as I thought it was. So for me, it was really good. And uh, I've been feeling since I started doing that, I've been feeling really good and being able to recover faster, you know, just feeling more energized overall. So yeah, it's been, uh, that's another thing uh, that I've been, been benefiting a lot from uh, recently as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Where, where did you, um, what am I trying to ask here? As far as that goes, what were some of the key takeaways and who are you looking to as far as nutritional guidance? Like, like what were the recommendations that, um, yes, that you were trying to hit? I, and I found yeah. recently, I found, uh, so one, I don't know if you noticed, but since, uh, since the Olympics, there've been so many like scientific research I've been coming out on climbing. It's crazy. Like, I can't believe it. Like, so I've been kind of like addicted to, I just keep buying them and finding them everywhere. So I found <laughs> one that's really good. I have, I have it with me right here, actually. but it's a, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what it is. See if you want to check it out. Is this a book or is this a research, research article? This is a research paper. I just printed it. Okay. Yeah. This is a research paper. Let me find it. Because it's called the nutritional consideration for bouldering. It's by Edward Smith, Ryan story and, uh, so yeah, it's really good. And uh, it's really cool because it's the first time a paper is made like this for the demands, the exactly like nutritional demands for bouldering, which is, I, I think it's amazing because uh, usually we always have to look at other sport to try to get a guideline, but now we have something uh, like really good, good research too. And even in terms of uh, 
ergonomic ergogenic aids too with uh, mm. like supplementation like stuff i've never tried uh but uh it's really interesting and i'm I'm tempted to try some of these to uh to see what it does uh to my climbing yeah what were some of the things that you noticed in your diet when you started tracking it and what are what are some of the things that you've changed that have made a positive difference for you so i noticed that i was not even anywhere close to the protein uh uh, needs that I, I needed for, for, for my, for my weight anyway. Uh, so that's one of the big things I, I supplemented it. I started using for the first time using supplements, uh, protein supplements. So that made a huge difference. So I use that. Uh, and then also just try to eat a little bit more, uh, protein in my, in my diet because, uh, yeah, it was like, it was really low. I, I, I most people that know me, they know, like, I, I'm, I've never been really good with, I eat a lot of crap and I pretty much always ate whatever I wanted, you know, and never got affected. But now that I'm getting a bit older, I think my metabolism starting to slow down too. And I'm starting to like realize that like, you, you know, like, uh, yeah, I have to pay a little bit more attention to, to my diet. And also just in terms of recovery, you know, like, uh, you don't recover as fast, uh, as you get, a, get older. So yeah, I'm focusing on like, especially for me, the big problem was way too much carbs and sugar and then not enough uh, protein. So I, I fixed a lot those ratios and uh, that's been helping quite a bit. So yeah, for in terms of supplements, I just uh, yeah started uh, using a uh, protein supplement, which has been helping quite a bit. Use it like with a smoothie or something like that. So that's been helping to be able to achieve my uh, protein gains because it's, it's quite challenging actually too. Like, uh, uh, just to get the proper uh, proper macros, if uh, yeah, if you're not used to it. Yeah, if you're not used to it, it's quite shocking, isn't it? Like yeah, you feel yeah. like you just have to pound protein all the time. <laughs> um, wh- what numbers do you try to hit? As far as do you have like a gram amount of protein and carbs that you aim for these yeah, days? I, I I plugged it in in an app. Like I don't know it kind of like by by art, but I kind of looked at the study, and I just put in my needs on a, on a nap thing. And uh, I used the app quite a bit at, at first because it's good because it kind of makes you self-aware of what your needs are. After that, you kind of like, you kind of know how close you are in yeah. terms of like, yeah. So, but now I still use it. I track it. I have a, a sheet where I kind of like track down uh, a little bit my overall like calories and stuff a day, but, uh, and then uh, my, my, my supplementation, but yeah, I've been pretty good now that I, I, I pretty much don't need to look at it. I kind of know what uh, what I need in terms of. Uh, uh, I know I'm I'm getting pretty close to what I, I need to for my daily uh, daily needs and stuff. Okay, well that makes me curious. Yeah. I'd love to if you're open to it. I'd love to get like a screenshot from you or something and share what Eve Gravel eats in a day. Um, yeah. in the show notes. Um, yeah. Let's go back to some of your finger training because I know. I mean, yeah. I have so many burning questions. I know um, other people listening to this will as well. You mentioned that you basically combine the training with outdoor climbing year round. Um, Do you have, like, has it been important to you in developing your finger and grip strength to have a dedicated off season where you're letting the performance side go to the wayside? Or is that one day a week and trying to perform on the weekends kind of always part of your season? And do you ever, like, I guess just talk me through your year. Do you ever have like a performance cycle where the weather's good and you're like, okay, I'm going to put the training on the back burner and try to get out more days a week. How does that all fit together in the bigger picture of your year? For our low, because of our local season, like 
it's very seasonal. So like the spring is usually when the like the outdoor season are good here. And then in the fall, summers are really hot and humid. So it tends not to be, that's kind of like my off season. Uh, and then uh, the winter, the winter then, yeah, it's kind of like the off season, but I'll still, that's the part where I'll usually do like a, a lot of conditioning or a cross type training. And then, uh, but I'll still keep a really good base of fingers, finger training. Although like in the past few years, like I've been kind of like on and off. Sometimes I get like motivation goes down and stuff like that. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I try to still keep a relatively good base on my fingers. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, my finger and strength. And I usually don't try to yeah lose too much, but I, usually if I stay two times, once or twice a week, I don't lose too much. Like it can stay there for quite a bit of time. Like a, even if I take a few months and go like that, like really cycle off a bit sometimes, which is kind of nice. It gives you a little break too. Uh, yeah. I usually don't lose that much. But yeah. It's more the, more the technical aspect that if I do a lot of that finger training or I mostly train at home. Right. So I do a lot of fingerboard training and a lot of, I train on a climbing board, like a little 40 degree wall as well. So it's more the movement for me that, uh, that I have trouble with. So like just getting more, uh, yeah. Yeah. Variety in the, in the movement. So usually when I climb outside, that starts to spike back out to up to, because I get more variety. And then I try to go to the gym a bit more often just to, to do different type of movement and stuff mm. like bigger moves and like change the angles as, as well and stuff. Yeah. How many months of the year are you pushing yourself as far as finger training or grip training versus that kind of maintenance load that you described of just having a couple sessions a, a week to maintain it? It's, it depends on the, again, it's mo mo mostly on motivation for me. Like uh, if I have any goals, like if I don't have any goals, then sometimes I'll just kind of like, I'll kind of like tone it down a bit. But if I, if I have goals, I can keep going year round pretty much like, uh, yeah. And then I'll look at the, if I have grip comps or uh, if I'm planning on doing climbing competition, then I'll just change it a little bit what I'm doing, like my, uh, the content of my training to, uh, to reflect that, I think. But uh, I can, I can pre pretty much stay year round in most cases. Okay. Um, I want to ask you just how you think about some of the the principles, the core principles when it comes to grip and finger training. Um, because there's so many different things out there that we can all try. They all work. They all work better for different goals, different things. They probably complement each other to some degree. Uh, it seems like you have quite a lot of variety in your approach to finger training just from that video. Like there's, you're not just spending all your time doing one arm max hangs on a 20 mil edge. You know, you're doing a lot of different things. Um, so, as far as principles go, what advice would you give to a climber who has struggled to make lasting finger strength gains in their own climbing career, in their own, in their own journey as a climber? Okay, there's a couple things. One is like, uh, is you don't want to have too many different things. You don't want to jump on different things, like do like minimal edge and then do, like do this one and then do like, campus board you, you want because it's going to get in the way of adaptation so if you keep it kind of simple especially like if you're if you're uh, intermediate or even like advanced if you keep it simple but like have consistency with your 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 training you should have a good amount of uh of uh of some good results out of it uh some things 
I think one of the things that a lot of people have trouble with too is uh, it's important because there's a lot of protocols out there, but you have to look at what else you're doing as well in your training. Cause if it's very, it's going to be very different. What I do, which I almost, almost exclusively train from home on a hangboard and on a little climbing wall, it's going to be very different from another person who uh, goes to the gym, like say like four days a week or something like that. And then you're going to complement it with finger training. So you have to look what you're, what, what else you're going to do. It's, it's very individual. You have to look at what you're going to do and what's your goal with it as well. Uh, so the first thing I would probably say is like to, um, to look at your objective, what exactly you're trying to achieve and then plan around that. And then it's important to another thing to when people set goals is they, uh, they tend to set the goals. Like I want to do, I want to climb this or I want to do that, but they don't have a clear path on how to get there. So, you know, so if the more you can kind of like, you know, uh, make some step and like put some guidelines, how, uh, how you're going to achieve that goal, the more success you're going to have. Another thing is to, uh, tr- w- write everything down. Like when you're doing a training, don't just play it by ear, just write everything down your sets, your, your number of reps. So then you can, you can look at exactly what you're doing. Um, another, another thing that's really important. Uh, I think a lot of people can gain from is to track their internal loads. So how they're perceiving the tr- their training uh, and, and level in terms of fatigue and stuff like that. So, mm. you know, the, the RPE scale, so the rate of perceived exertion. So like, how are you feeling? Say like you can use a scale from like one to 10. How, how was that training for you? So you rate that and then you can use the length of your session Say I trained for two hours and it was an eight. So you multiply by that and it gives you your uh, session RPE. So you can really train. And when we talked about um, when we talked about early the how you plan how you plan your week. Say if you want to climb on the weekend and you want to be like at your max there. If you look at your at that number, it's going to be a lot more important in terms of information than if you look at your training numbers or your volume for this, because that's how you're, how you're feeling towards your training, training inside. So that's a lot more important. So if you look, so like I'm at the beginning of the week, I'm very tired and then you want to work towards, and you can ma- manipulate your training volume and your, your, your intensity to reflect that so that your, your fatigue goes down and your volume goes down so that you can peak for your, your, your weekend session. So that's a really good way and an easy way to uh to make progress like that by looking how how you're feeling in the length of your session so you can manipulate those those uh those values so that, that's that thing that's uh, something that a lot of people can do and no not a lot of people do that uh that they can gain a lot of to get uh, information on how they're feeling of the training if you feel if you're doing your training say like uh and it's something that you've done before and you perceive it as a lot harder so like say you're lifting a, i don't know um, 70% of your, your maths, but it feels really heavy today. Well, it could be a sign of a uh, high level of fatigue and that you're, you're starting to get over. It's usually a predicator for, uh, overtraining. So, uh, you might be heading in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And then the opposite applies as well. So if, if you're doing like high level of, of, of training or like heavier loads and it feels really easy, 
But then that's a sign of adaptation. It means you're really responding well to your training. So you're going to be ready to kind of like start moving on, adding a little bit more weight or more sets and stuff like that. It means you're adapting well to your training and you're making progress. So I think, yeah, I think one of the big mistakes that I see for people when they, they train and stuff is that they don't track anything. So it's important to track what you're doing and have a plan. And uh, yeah, what else I was going to say? Uh, another thing too is like try to keep, if your goal is to build strength or maximum strength, like strong fingers, you want to try to keep that for the beginning of your session. Or like if you do two days in a row, you usually want to keep that for the first day when you're fresh. So that's a principle. Like when you're training strength, you should, you should be fresh. You should feel fresh. You shouldn't be like always like completely blasted, which happens all the time when we do climbing. I see people all the time, like they, they're going to train like three, four hours in the gym. And then they're going to go do a finger session. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not usually the best, uh, in my opinion, maybe not the best approach to do so. Uh, yeah. So try to keep be fresh, uh, and finish fresh too. Usually like that's one thing that I've been doing at home. Maybe that's why I had a lot of success is when I do strength sessions, my sessions are short and I usually finish, uh, fresh and, and I stop before, before failure. So when I do hangs, I never kind of like go to like, till I fall because I can't hold on anymore. I always add, it's called a buffer. So I'll stop a few seconds before failure, uh, or I'll stop a few reps before, uh, before I stop. So that's another important, uh, I think principle in uh, maximum strength training, and then making sure you're hitting that right intensity. If it's, if it's too easy, you probably won't get a lot of gains from maximum strength. And then if it's too high, like if it's close to 90% or hundred percent, you start doing that a lot, then it's going to be very taxing on your uh, central nervous system. And uh, same thing, you're going to stop seeing progress. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really, really good to reiterate. I think is that there does seem to be this sweet spot and, um, power lifters and other strength sports have figured this out very well. Like there's this sweet spot where you can train hard enough to get very similar strength gains as you would if you were training at 90%. But um, with that buffer, you recover so much faster that you can get a lot more sessions in. And I think yeah. that's, especially with climbing, like this is something I screw up all the time. I've screwed it up here in Waco is it's so much harder to hit those percentages on rock, you know, um, or, or in the gym, if you're just climbing on boulders all the time, it's so much more kind of haphazard and difficult to measure. It's, I think it's really easy to just go a little bit too hard all the time, um, and, and be stuck in this kind of recovery hole where you're never totally fresh for your next strength session. I, I think that's a really yeah. common mistake. That I, have, uh, I have a tip. Like if you want to track your, uh, your external load, so like your training load, but when you're on rock or on a board session or like moonboarding, I can share what I do and maybe that's going to help some people. So what I do, I can even send you some of that. So like <laughs> I have, uh, <laughs> I have like a spreadsheet. So I have the grades for like one to like V16 or whatever. And then the next row is going to be like the number of attempts. So each time I do an attempt, like I, 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 so I'll write it down. And then the number of tops and the total, the third line is going to be my total load. So to, to structure the, what's nice about the grades in climbing is we can use it as a, uh, an intensity marker, right? So it can be say, say V10. And then I did the four, two attempts or something like that, or like, that's going to give you my load. So, so you multiply the two. 
So it gives you like, say, 20. Mm -hmm. And what I do for the attempts that I didn't get a top, I give them, I give them a, a decimal value. So like mm -hmm. a, a percentage. So like usually 0 0.25, 50, 75. Uh, yeah, so it's like incomplete attempts, but I, I try to gauge where I got on the boulder. I was going to ask that. So if you if you just tried the crux in its own, you might give that like 0.2 or 0.25 or yeah, 0.5. Yeah. Or, okay, yeah, that's so cool. So say I do a board session. So then I'll have like my V10, V11, V12, whatever boulder I'm doing that, that day. Okay, and then uh, yeah, I write the number of attempts, the number of tops. And with that, I'll be able to figure out my, my load for the day. So the load is not the tops, but like the attempts total. Like, so the attempts and where you got and all that, right? So it gives you my load for the for this session. So that's really good because you can track your load. And then also what you can do with the grades, you can track your level of mastery, which I call is like uh, your, your percent, like your success percentage at certain grades and all that. So it's really nice because you can see it's like, okay, like, you know, at this grade, like, I send them like about 90%. So you can track that. You, you can do overall. You can have a look. It's like, okay, like, you know, for that session, I had like an 84% uh, success rate. And uh, like, it's really cool because you can track progress. And also you can see, <laughs> okay, I'm starting to master that grade quite a bit, right? Wow. And then you can like the next week, you can add a little bit. So that's what I, I'll be, I, I've been in increasing my load throughout the weeks and stuff. So I work my way up to like, a, a big amount of boulders at a certain grade using this method. So like say the next week, what I do, I look at the, the total load just for the week. And then within that week, I play with the volumes. Usually Sunday is when I, I'm going to have like a big board session and I'm going to have like, I'm going to do like a bunch of boulders, like at a certain grade and stuff like that. And anyway, you, you try doing something like this. You can, so the next week and you can try to, add a bit more boulders to that list and stuff like that. So you kind of work your volume. It depends again. It depends again on what your goal is, right? So like on a preparation month. So I like to, there's two types of cycles I like to do a lot for climbing. I know, again, I'm going super off. Course, this is but, great. No, this is great. Yeah. I, I want to see the spreadsheet. I want to try this. <laughs> so say there's two types of cycles that I like to do. One is a preparation cycle. So when I prepared for say Waco, so the first month, my goal is to build up my volumes. So three weeks, the weights go, the volume goes up, slowly goes up. And the fourth week usually is a recovery week, just to give my body a little bit of time to rest, to recover. So usually the intensity goes back down to 70% or something like that when we're talking about maximum strength. And then the next month is like, I call them like competitive cycles. So when I'm starting to peak for a competition, so the loads are going to start really high. And then the volume is going to start to work towards their way down. Mm. So that what that does is it your your level of fatigue starts to go down in your body, so that hopefully you peak by the by, by the end of that month. So it goes down, but during that month, so the volume is going to go down. The total volume is going to go down in my set in my of my training, but I'm going to keep the intensity pretty high or even higher. Sometimes I'm going to start doing like really harder, like much harder boulder. So like, uh, yeah, maximum projects and stuff like that, just to kind of like get close to my objectives and stuff. So, yeah, that's another thing, but yeah, that's a, that's a fun one for the calculating the external load, uh, on your project. I mean, it takes a little bit of, uh, you need to be disciplined to be able to like track things like that, but it can gives you, it can give you a lot of values, on uh, on your progress and where you're at and yeah 
into structures like, okay, at this grade, I'm like, you know, I almost never fall. And then you can try to push that so that like you can do more of those or you can start working on the next grade to try to increase that number again. So this, there's a lot of things you can do with just with just those numbers by tracking that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's a really cool idea. Um, I want to ask, is there, how do you think about balancing your training load over the course of longer time spans? Like you already, it sounds like you're very good at balancing that all in a week and being fresh every Sunday, for instance. Um, do you think about that on like a more macro scale as well? Like, do you have periods where you're training hard enough that you're kind of intentionally building fatigue over a few weeks or months even, and then working towards um, basically doing the same thing, like working towards a peak and tapering on a longer scale, or is it always in this kind of shorter balanced week structure? It always depends on my goal and my objective. So the first thing I figure out is what exactly, and that's sometimes I don't have much objectives. Then usually I'll just like, I'll do some grip stuff or finger type of exercise and I'll know I'll try to I'll try to improve something. But if I have a specific goal in mind, then the first thing you have to figure out, what's that goal? And then you figure out how much time you have. And then with that, then you can start breaking down how much time do I have and what am I going to do with that time? So it really depends on what you want to do and how much time you have. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to so what. Um, I want to ask you more about how you prepared for that one in specific and come back to these three elements that we talked about. So like, I need to get better on small crimps. I need to get better at tension and keeping my feet on. Um, and I need to get better at doing nine moves in a row instead of just a couple hard moves. Uh, but first off, why did you name it so what? I, I think that's a really interesting name and it's tempting for me to like psychoanalyze, but um, oh. where did that name come from? It's a song from Miles Davis. I, I like a lot of jazz music, so I used to play uh, a lot of uh, jazz guitar and oh, stuff nice. like that. So a lot of the a lot of the roots that I open up are from like uh, like Green Dolphin Street and stuff like that. I, uh, like Mr. PC, like John Coltrane songs and stuff like that. Nice. Like so, a lot of the names are from like uh, classic uh, jazz standards and all that stuff like that. So sometimes I use uh, yeah yeah I use yeah. names for that. Yeah, cool. Or I'll play with names like the the other words like miles ahead same thing it's like kind of like yeah but also it was so one of the my early uh inspiration was one of the uh my training partners and one of the gym owners at my local gym jody miles so i kind of played with those two names in the name of uh you know miles ahead which is again is uh mm. miles thing going on so i kind of like i like to play a lot with yeah jazz standards jazz jazz names just nice. because i like i like that type of music yeah so yeah, as far as that boulder, trying it, feeling like it was, you know, beyond you and you needed to level up for this thing. What were the key elements for that one that you felt like you needed to, um, to work on or, or bring your level up for to be able to climb that boulder? Was it those three things that we talked about? So that one, it was a little bit different. That one, especially the beginning section gave me a lot of problems. There's a couple of things that I... And it took a long time. Usually when I get to a boulder, I can do the moves pretty quickly. Like I can do the individual moves. That one, I couldn't do any of the first three moves. And there's a couple of things. One was like the first Gaston. Like we do this big Gaston and you're in a tight little box and the, the boulder is really steep too, say about 65 degree overhanging. And you kind of like do this Gaston and it's really demanding on the shoulder because you have to shift, but you also have to pull your body in because, uh, 
there's a high step well you basically hand foot match and it's it's so steep and it's so demanding on the shoulder it wants to push you back mm. so i had to really focus on building super strong shoulders because i just felt that my shoulders i I'd always thought i had pretty strong shoulders and very developed shoulders but i had to put a lot of time on uh, building very strong shoulders and conditioning them for those months just to make sure i wouldn't get hurt on that move and then I had to develop very specific uh, mobility to be able to do that high step, like in that tight box. So a lot of hip flexor type of uh, mobility. And then, uh, then the other issue that I had was just once I was able to do that section was uh, building the capacity, the, the, the power endurance to be able to link the two boulders. So like the first section, I, I mean, it's very personal, but that first section is so hard for me. Like I can probably v13 or maybe even more than that uh I, I spent more time on those moves like probably in the last three years i spent a lot of time on that and you know it was the hardest thing i've ever done on a on a boulder so it might be even harder than that but you know i don't want to kind of like saying crazy numbers but anyway <laughs> but that yeah. that section was really hard but it could be also just for for me personally but then the issue was i still had to climb like v14 after that so I really had to build like uh, power endurance. So what I did was every time I do like work a little bit, the, the beginning. So I had a really specific plan on what I had to do to build those shoulders, that mobility. And uh, so then every time I'd come back, I'd work a little bit on the beginning and then the top part, I would just do laps and laps on the, on the, the V14 section. Every time I go, I do like a couple laps on it till it became like, I just knew that when I would get to like the start of that 14, it was just like automatic. I just like, I didn't even think about it. I knew how it was going to go. So that was basically my strategy to, uh, to link that, uh, that boulder together. I actually got a question from a listener about shoulder strength. This is from FD climbs and they wanted to know if you had any tips for training climbing specific shoulder strength. Uh, yeah, most of it is I do like a lot of conditioning type of stuff. So, uh, gymnastic rings type of exercise are really good or dips on the bar. Really good, uh, shoulder for, for climbers were really weak on overhead pressing. Mm. So I would, in terms of conditioning to prevent injuries, I would spend a lot of time doing overhead presses are going to be really good to build shoulders. But, uh, yeah, I I just, I do a, a bunch of different nice exercise uh, mixed with a little bit of closer to hypertrophy type training or, uh, yeah, to build uh, very strong shoulders. So yeah, dips. I do a lot of dips, uh, flies on the floor with uh, kind of like either rings or roller type things are, re- are really great. Um, yeah, I do a lot of, uh, curls too, strict curling or like, uh, seated curls. I love those. They, they're good for the bicep and the chest and the shoulders too. I really noticed that my shoulder got a lot of definition from doing those. I, mm. I always thought it was more like a bicep exercise, but the chest and the shoulders uh, gain a lot of strength. And uh, yeah, those are some of my favorite exercise push-ups to it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. As far as the seated curls go, I think that's in that. So what video um, you're using one of those bars. I don't even know what the name of this type of bar is, but it looks like a W. It's got like that weird. That's an easy curl. Yeah. An easy, easy curl, curl bar. bar. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, how important is your grip, your wrist position when you're doing those? Because I think you're using like a slightly internally rotated grip where you're. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think about that? Well, I think the 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 wrist, like the, the curled or pronation of the wrist 
It's just, it makes like a shorter leverage. So it gets the bar closer to your body. So the more extended out you are, like if you're trying to lift heavy weights and you're really far from your body, it's going to be harder. So if you kind of like curl everything tight to you, towards you, close to you, it's going to create a shorter leverage. So it's, I think it's more of a, a technique thing. So like you curl your wrist in, so it gets the bar closer to you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I have one more question for you from me, and then let's dive into some listener questions. I got like more than a dozen questions for you. People are psyched about this. Um, but I wanted to ask you like what, maybe the context for this is like, if you're not in like a off season, bad weather training block, and you're just trying to maintain your finger strength with a couple workouts per week. Cause one of, one of my biggest takeaways from this conversation already is that, okay, this guy does some amount of dedicated finger training all year round. And it sounds like it never ends. Um, which is something I've screwed up a lot. Like I've I've had like two month blocks of finger training where I actually made pretty good improvement. And then I've gone into performance mode and neglected the maintenance side of it and kind of let all of those improvements backslide. And then when I go into my next off season of training, I'm kind of like starting over and just making the same progress over again. So I, I think that's a really powerful takeaway. Like it sounds like you really focus on it at certain parts of the year, but then you maintain it always and you always have some amount of finger training. But I wanted to ask you this, like, do you have, if you had to pick like three top exercises for building finger strength over the long term or for maintaining it, what would those be? And is that even the right question to be asking? Because like I said earlier, it's, it looks like you have a lot of variety in your finger training. Yeah. So there, there's a couple that I, let me, like, if we look at three, I think you can get a lot of, and there's different times, I think, to apply them for climbing that work well, work well for me anyway. So when, if you look at something like a 20 millimeter edge or something, so I like to do with that edge, I like to do, uh, build a bit more, uh, hypertrophy, like in the, especially in the tendons and all that. So, uh, so with that, I'll, like, if you do repeaters, you can do different, there's different protocols that, they're uh, like seven, three or whatever, something like that's going to work and do multiple reps. So I like to do that. And like, when we're looking at that preparation phase, so I'm going to do a lot of volume doing that type of thing. Or if we look at lifting from the floor, like a deadlift type of edge or something. So 18 millimeters or something. And then I'll, when I lift from the floor, I'll do that. I do reps because mm. uh, I like to, it's e really easy to, uh, to structure it kind of like, um, to structure and, quantify the load uh if you do it like that just like we do with uh with power lifting what, what annoys me a lot with uh with dead hanging is uh that calculating with time under tension i never found a really good way to do it like that you know you can calculate your times and doing your set but if you just do like reps then same thing like we did with the uh the grades and the number of, uh, you know, like what we did like that, then you can calculate your load, just like power lift is, does you have, your like, this is my session load for today. So the number of reps at that weight, and then that's going to be really easy to quantify your, uh, yeah, the volume for me. I like, I like to have numbers like that to be able to track where I'm at. And that's only always been one of the issues and the things that I've, I've, uh, I've, I've faced that I've had issue with, uh, from dead hanging that I picked up, I get from, from grip and like, uh, powerlifting is that, that, that method works really well for me. So anyway, really, so really quickly, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but, um, this might seem really obvious to you, but I actually think it's worth clarifying. Like 
what does a rep mean when you're doing that? Like, are you, I'm imagining like you're, you have some sort of like a tension block or something attached to a weight on the ground. You're picking it up, putting it back down, but are you picking it up and holding it for a certain amount of time? Or is it just lift it, put it back down? Um, no, I bring it to lock off and then I just bring it back down. Okay. So usually the action is probably like two seconds or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Thank you. So that's the method I've used. And like, yeah, basically the intensity is going to be, or, and the volume is going to be uh, calculated with the number of reps. Yeah. So yeah. you would you would train that or program that the same way that like a power lifter would do a hypertrophy phase, where maybe you're doing like, you know, sets of eight to ten to twelve reps or something, in that kind of preparation phase. Is is that right? Yeah. For fingers, I don't do a lot of like, I hypertrophy. Like I'll do a lot more volume, like a little bit more volume. So one of the things too that I had a lot of success with was a, a progressive warm-up. So when I lift from the ground, even on the hangboard, I'll do something like similar to that. Well, I'll work my way down on the edges or progressively add weight, but uh, I'll, I'll work my way up. So say I'll start at 60% of or 50% of my max at a certain amount of reps. Usually something like eight is going to be good when if I have like a goal to work to go to around 85% or percent of like the my main sets are. So I usually try not to go like crazy amount of reps just to kind of like get burnt out. So I'll just kind of progressively warm up. So work my way from 50, 60, 70, and then I'll do my main set. So usually my main sets will do like four series or something like that. Again, it depends on the week and depends on the day. Some days I'll, I'll bring the volume a bit down and then some days I'll have like really high, uh, high volume. What are some, uh, volume what are some examples? So your working sets, you might have four working sets. How many reps yeah. for, for those? Usually two, two to four, depending okay. on the intensity. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if it's like 90%, I'll be like a two. And then uh, every once in a while, I like to do kind of like a pyramid while I work my way up. So 50, 60, 70, uh, 80, whoops, something just popped up, 85, 90, 95, 100. And then sometimes I'll even bring it back down. So that I like to do like in uh, like right now, like when I'm getting close to the, the trip. So I do very little volume, but the intensity is really high. So I'm really close. Same thing when I'm doing like cl getting close to a grip comp. So I'll get closer to those big numbers, which helps with the, yeah, yeah. Just kind of like, like the coordination of all the fibers and all that. I find like mm. you get really efficient at lifting heavy weights and stuff. You still have to train at heavy weights if you want to be able to lift like, uh, you know, big, uh, big stuff. If you just do like smaller weight it doesn't really translate really well to uh, if you want to try to do like one rep max and stuff like that. So, yeah, so that's one method. And then for performance, for climbing, I really like um, uh, micro edges. So small edge, uh, I found that translate really well. So when I'm getting the same thing, when I'm getting a bit closer to the trips, uh, then I'll start to focus a lot on smaller, especially if I, my goal is to, you know, have uh, crimpy boulders. I'll do a lot of, uh, yeah, micro edges like on six fours and stuff like that. Oof. I found that I, I found that it associates a lot better to performance than uh, actually like I've, I've noticed if I train like on a twenty or eighteen millimeter edge or something like that. Even if even if I can do like big PRs or something like on that edge, if I go on my board and I try to do like hard boulders. It doesn't, it doesn't reflect that. It doesn't like translate as well as if I do small edges. So if I found that is a lot more, uh, relates a little bit better in terms of performance. So micro, but again, it depends again on your, on your goal. So if you, if you want to build strength and stuff like that, it's also a bit more safer 
then I like an edge of that size is really good. Like a 20 millimeter edge is, is really nice. It's comfortable. You can do a lot of volume, you know, you won't get uh, like kind of like splits and all that. That's another thing as well. So there's certain edge size that I don't, I don't like too much, like at around 10 millimeters, I find it gets close to that groove and it kind of pe- pulls it apart and create, creates like a split. Mm-hmm. So probably a lot of people experience that. So there's certain edge. Uh, I, I can't do a lot of volume. It's just like, it's not a very efficient for, uh, to get the volume that I need for training. Yeah. And then the other one is with the, uh, uh, contact strength type of exercise. Uh, so for that one too, I know like a lot of the same thing. I've been seeing a lot of research that's been coming up on that, like, uh, on uh, rate of force development. Uh, so I see a lot of people training that too. And I tried it. Uh, one thing is like, yes, it's good. I think it's good. This method is really good to get an objective measurement of your, of how fast you can react and stuff or your reaction speed or your, your, the, the, the speed of your contractions. But in, in, in climbing, uh, what I notice is it's really, there's a very close correlation to, uh, jumping or coordination or high, uh, the like being able to see something or perception. So being able, so you want to include something, a jump or, uh, not just touching the edge and kind of like contracting your fingers, Mm. not going to, I don't think for my experience, it doesn't translate very well because in climbing, especially when we need that coordination, it's going to come from a movement that's dynamic or a jump. So if you're doing a comp, a comp climbing and doing a lot of those coordination type movements, uh, so you're going to benefit a lot more from doing uh, something from a jump. If you don't, if you don't have access to a wall with all those boulders, then you can do like, you can use kind of like a campus board where you kind of like use those big rungs. I don't think the head size matters too much on those as well. It's more of like the speed of the contraction. So you can kind of like keep one hand on the bottom rung and just like jump and work on like catching it. So mm. that way it works with the jump, your timing, your coordination. So that's in my, from my experience as a really good uh, carryover. And that's another one that I've noticed that when I get close to uh, an event or a comp or something like that. If I do a lot of those exercise, I find I'm, I get really, you get really quick at reacting to holds. And when you touch them, you just, you just stick them every time. So yeah, that could be a good one too, to put in, in your plan uh, closer to the events and doesn't take too long to, uh, to get benefit out of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. So I, I know this is something Tyler Nelson has talked about a lot. Like he'll train, rate of force development on a hangboard sometimes just having people stand on the ground you know with with one arm on the board and just work on pulling and, and engaging really quickly so you're saying like training that's important but you find much better carryover by making it more specific by adding some sort of coordination element and actually jumping to a hold and basically training like dynoing or dead pointing yeah i think it that to training with the the pulling it's going to be really good to have an objective measurement of actually how fast you can pull. So if you want to see, it's like, am I doing any progress with that? You're going to be able to quantify your, your, uh, your progress, but I think you can incorporate both together. So if you would mm. do that, I would definitely had uh, some, some sort of uh, jump or something visual because it's always associated with something like that. So your depth of uh, your perspective, perception of the distance and all that and like being able to time it's very important to have something with the timing to be able to time the difference and uh yeah it works well together because okay. if, 
if you focus on just the, the 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 grip part and then you try to do the jump you'll see you you might be missing on some some other very important elements that is uh, associated with that type of uh, of uh, of grip or contact okay okay um, I want to re- like kind of summarize what we just talked about and you tell me if I'm getting this right. So it sounds like if you kind of had to pick three things to focus on that it, that give you the most bang for your buck with your finger training, one of those is using a bigger edge. And it sounds like it sounds like what you do for lasting strength gains, like the best way to get lasting strength strength gains is to hangboard on a bigger edge. There's lots of ways to do it, but something like repeaters or something like picking up something off the ground using a tension block or something like that for reps, the way that you described, that would be the best way to get lasting finger strength. And then the small edge training and the the recruitment, like whether that's jumping to holds on a campus board or climbing on your moon board or whatever, those things are also important, but those are more like including more specificity to prepare for your performance on rock. Um, yeah, I would associate them more to to performance yeah yeah and the other one the i mean they're all gonna work to build like some strength maybe but uh yeah i had a lot of success with the either the deadlift or just like doing short hangs if we're talking about like dead hangs uh so hangs about like five seconds uh that's i for me for maximum strength that's uh that's a good number like five second hangs or something like that for like the the working sets okay yeah, yeah, with the max amount of weight. That's uh, I had a lot of success with the, with that amount. But then again, I'll, I'll play a little bit too. Like you know, like when I get closer to the events, uh, yeah, you bring down the volume. It's, that's that's another important thing. You want to bring down the volume of your sets and then increase the intensity a little bit. And you get a little little peak out of it. Yeah. Um, this is a question from Alan. Does Eve have a favorite way to train the full crimp specifically? The full crimps, I'll mostly focus like on the on the wall on the board or something like that's when I'm gonna apply it a lot. So when I do board climbing, usually I'll I'll apply I'll do all my my full crimps uh, on the bo- on the board. I don't use it too much, even like on the like small edge, like the four. Sometimes I'll put the thumbs over. Sometimes I don't. I notice when I pull really, if I try to do one rep max, uh, like say off a block, like a six mil block or something. If I get, when I get close, it naturally just like, rah, <laughs> your goes thumb on. goes on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It goes on, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It just kind of like pulls over. It's like, okay, you might need a little extra. So like it just like, clamps down. Yeah. But yeah, I think in terms of training, it's maybe best to, uh, to not include it just because it gives you an extra, uh, uh, you know, an extra point to anchor on. And for crimps, I think it's important to, if, if I see a lot of, another thing, a lot of people have trouble with that grip, especially with, you know, training a lot in the gym, the holds tend to be very big now and like open hand. So it's a grip, it's more of a technique, like the, the crimp. So if you, if someone wants to kind of like get good at it, I would say probably like to just do like really easy traverse on like on a vert with like small crimps where you can really load your feet and not load the hand so much, but just get used to that position. Mm. I have a really funny story actually that's uh, that might interest a lot of people. So when I was younger, when I started climbing, I had crazy amount of finger injury. I just kept getting finger injury all the time, all the time. And um, I know I started noticing. So I started noticing that it would only. So from what I've learned back in the days, I would read some books. 
And it would always say, okay, you should never train. You should only train open hands, never train your crimps, anything like that. So I did that, right? And every time I would go to a competition and I would uh, get a crimp or something like that, I noticed that's when I got injured. Mm. And I think one of the reasons behind that is that like my body was, is never used to, to, that, to that, that position. So what I, when I started realizing that, I started doing exactly that. So going really easy, but like getting used to that position, doing like really easy traverse, doing some crimps and stuff, just slowly getting built, build that, that strength. And I never got a finger injury after that for, uh, from crimping or anything like that. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, what I kind of want to say with this is like, it's important to train for what you're going to, what you're going to experience like on the rock or the gym. So if you're going to be climbing a lot on pockets, then it's probably important to spend a lot of time, uh, spending a lot of time on that same thing. If you're going to climb a lot on like really crimpy, sharp boulders, well, you should probably spend a lot of time crimping because if you don't, that's when you, you're a bit more at risk of injury because you're going to introduce something that you've never, never really, you know, never spend a lot of time on. And you're going to, you're going to be a bit more at risk of injury. I mean, it's the same thing as like when we're talking about like going on a trip, you know, you're used to climbing two, three times a week or something like that. And all of a sudden you go to a climbing trip. All you want to do is climb every day and you spend like six hours on a rock, you don't take a rest day, then you're going to be a little bit more at risk of injury. So if you, what I could say, like my, my philosophy has been is like, if you're going to uh, get that type of movements or that type of holds, then you should, you should train it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's super helpful. And it's interesting what your story reminds me a lot of a story that Emil Abrahamson told on the podcast as well. And because he had a really similar thing, like he got really strong at pinches and slopers and stuff. And his crimp always lagged behind because he didn't do it. And he told me that he just he just got to a point where he realized like, this is holding me back. I want to get better at it. And he would just do a bunch of really easy warm up climbs like V2 and just full crimp every single hold and just tell himself, these are comfortable and I can enjoy these. These are comfortable and I can enjoy these. And he, he would just go around the wall and, and just crimp and you know, now, now he's done V13 crimp boulders and stuff. So yeah, um, yeah pretty interesting. Crimps is a, is a funny, it's a, it's a funny grip too. Like uh, even if you go, like if you go away from crimping for a while and like uh, you go back, it feels funny. It just doesn't feel natural. But if you start doing it a little bit more, then like it just becomes like, yeah, you get very good at it and very strong at it. It's a, it's a funny one. It's, I think it's, it's very, there's probably a very specific technique aspect to it too like where you have to build that technique and like getting used to that position to be efficient or else it just doesn't feel very good it doesn't feel like you're you're uh you, you're accomplishing anything I, mm. I see it all the time yeah i want to get your take on different grip positions in your training and how you think about that and this is a interesting question from someone this is another question from fd climbs and they wrote do you have any tips for training individual fingers for example um, I have a really poor half crimp due to a weak index finger. And reading that question, it made me think of that so what video because I think there's a clip where you're doing like a you're doing like a a body weight hang on two small little six mil edges or something, and you're like crimping with only two fingers on each hand, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh yeah, I think the two middle the two middle fingers. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, that's just a challenge that I 
I tried, but uh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, for I don't train them individually. I train them all together. Uh, I think the hands too. A lot of the thing for for the grip is uh, depends on like uh, on your body anatomy too. Like some people have a longer index finger or shorter. So I don't know if you notice, like when people kind of like half grip or like try to put all fingers together for me at the middle two finger, when they're slightly bent, and then I put the two other together, I'll have the pinkies almost straight and the index almost straight. That's for me, that's like a very comfortable position when I kind of like almost like uh, on decent edge, like something like a 20, 20 millimeter edge or something like that. That's very comfortable for me. That's how my, my fingers line up naturally. Um, if, I, if I start half crimping one a bit more when it's like on smaller heads, it feels a bit more comfortable, but I think a lot of the time can be something that maybe more with the anatomy. Uh, but if it's something that gives you a lot of trouble, I would probably do just like make the intensity very easy, like make it really easy. So like almost on warm up exercise and just work on that position on kind of like getting that half crimp position on that, on that index, but make sure it's at really low intensity where you have like total control over it. And then just slowly build that. And like over a few weeks, you'll start to get a bit more comfortable at getting that. And I think when we half crimp or uh, it's because both joints are going to be engaged. So it's a lot more challenging. I think that's what the science behind it says, why half crimping is so much better because it, I think it's the most challenging one as well, because then both uh, articulation are, are engaged in it. So they'll have more carryover to, to the other ones. Mm. I, I mean, I think that's the, the purpose behind it. You train kind of like the weakest one and then uh, uh, it's going to make the other ones a bit better. But yeah, for most part, I, I, when I grab like a decent edge, uh, I like having almost my index almost straight. I notice I don't focus too much on uh, half crimping. I know like I can, I know I can half crimp and I do it when I, uh, on mostly on smaller edges, like six or something like that. That's when that position becomes a bit more comfortable for me. Mm. But yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So you kind of, you do whatever feels most comfortable to your anatomy rather than getting fixated on like, I have to do a strict half crimp or yeah, but open I or mean, whatever. I noticed that when I'm climbing outside and when I'm grabbing edge, that's how I'm going to grab him. Mm-hmm, like for mm-hmm. me, like the, the rock doesn't care how I grab the hold, whatever I get the most out of, uh, for me is the right way. If it's only holding me back, then I would probably focus on it. But if, if I noticed I grab everything like this and that's how strong I'm strong like that, then uh, yeah, it makes sense for me to, to train it like that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. This is another question from Alan, and it ties into what we talked about earlier. Um, you know, you started off this conversation by saying like, just keep things really simple. If you can keep things simple and stick with it consistently, you're going to get good gains. Um, but I, I like this question because I think it'll provide more context. And this also ties back into your so what video. And and because um, it appears that you do a lot of different things in your grip training. And I, I want to hear like the method to the madness. But yeah, Alan wrote, how does Eve balance different methods of training fingers and grip strength? For example, using a tension block or something else to pull weight off the ground for reps, a wrist wrench to do the same thing, one or two arm hangs on a hangboard, small edge hangs, etc. I think there's certainly carryover between them, but just wondering what it might look like in his training to fit all these together. So I'd love to hear how you think about like how you think about that. Do you just like pick a few things to focus on and 
keep it simple and consistent until you stop making progress and then just switch? Or is there like a, a grand plan as far as how all these things fit together? Yeah, it's going to depend a lot on my, uh, my goals and the events that are coming up. So uh, if I don't really like mostly in the off season, kind of like in the winter or something, when I don't have much, then I'll do a lot of grip training. I'll mix, I'll put like, a, instead of climbing on the wall, then I'll start adding a few more exercise. So that's when I'm going to do, say, like uh, crimp block type of exercise. And then I'll do my micro edges. And then I might do some rolling thunder in a pinch. I'll do like maybe three, four different exercise. But then again, I don't climb a lot. So it really depends on like what exactly you're doing. Are you focused on grip alone? Then you can probably add a lot more exercise. But if you're like mostly focused on climbing, then you probably just want to stick to maybe one or two exercise and then just focus on what your goal is. So is your goal is to climb better Then you probably spend a little bit more time in your climbing. Then if you notice that your grip is like really a weak point, then it's important. You're going to have to do more, uh, more things, like put a priority on that. Mm. So I start adding a lot more into it. So probably at least three times a week, if you want to see any, like, I think good result out of it, uh, uh, one, one time a week is going to be good to maintain something. And then three times and up is going to, you're going to start, that's where you're going to see a lot of benefits and like being able, like, again, it goes again, the, the more specialized you are in something. And I think that's why I got a lot of success and grip is that I'm compared to a lot of climber. I'm more of a specialist because I spent so much time just like fingerboarding or training my fingers. I think that's why maybe my level got a bit higher because I just spent so much time doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on your, your, uh, your goals. Uh, yeah. If I, if I'm just climbing, like, like right now, like the past few months, I haven't done a lot of like all, all the other grip implements, pinch and all that. The only two type of exercise I've been doing are like the one we talked about where I do a, like the, uh, good side edge and do kind of like repeaters or lift from the ground and doing like reps like that. And then a lot of like small edges, micro edges, especially in the past few weeks. I'm trying to get ready for like small crimps and stuff. What are you getting ready for? Uh, I wanted, I really want to do a uh, terra mare. If I, uh, if I can, I'd be really excited. I don't try to, I'm trying not to keep the pressure down too on it. Cause yeah. uh, I know it's hard to, when you go on a trip, you know, you just don't have that many days. So, and there's a lot of stuff I want to try. So we'll see. So like, you know, sometimes, I, I mean, I could do like, last time I went, I that was one of my big goals, but then you get there and there's so many things you want to try is like, you either spend all your trip focusing on one boulder or do you want to kind of like, you know, try a couple of things. So that's kind of like the one I really want to do, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Nice. They all, they're all crimpy because yeah. that's what I got ready for. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's something I usually, I usually really struggle to make that decision and then I don't decide and I try to do both and then I don't do either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's tough. Huh? Yeah. It's tough. That's yeah, awesome. Well, that kind of answers this question from Daniel, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, Any plans to travel to some of the more world-famous bouldering areas? For example, Bishop, Fontainebleau, Red Rocks, Brione, Rocklands, and attempt some of the established classic V15s or V16s? Yeah, definitely. Now that the the COVID's starting to open up, uh, I'm I'm, going to try to do a little bit more trips. So now, yeah, Waco's coming and then we'll see maybe uh, in the in the fall, I'll probably have another little trip or next winter or something like that. I can't do too much because of uh, 
of uh, of work in the family and stuff, it's like a little bit more de- demanding, a bit more challenging. But uh, definitely, I'm interested. I, I, Waco is fun for me because it's always fun to go back to a place that you've been before because you you know you already have goals from what you tried and like you know you can uh, yeah. So I'm very excited to go back there. But definitely, I would love to go uh, to uh, Switzerland, Font, you know. Uh, same thing, uh, Bishop or like uh, close to Vegas where all those new cool boulders been popping up. Uh, yeah, so many places to go. And Northeast too, like that's a place that's close for me to go. So uh, there's there's some stuff there that's interesting, even some short routes. Nice. Short. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Let's see, what else do we have on this list here? We got so many questions. I think we I think we actually answered a lot of these just through our conversation. So hopefully... For everyone that submitted questions, we we covered this stuff. Um, I did think this was interesting, though. I I, I watched, I, I looked up your Instagram and like looked at some of your recent posts. And one of your recent ones that blew my mind was uh, your latest campus PR, um, which I, I believe I like had to watch it four times to see what you were doing here. But I think you did one six ten on the campus board. Is that right? Uh, one seven eleven. Yeah, but it's uh, I think it's twenty one uh, the spacing, so one centimeter off. But it's okay. still really big. It's still like uh, really big. When I when I have my hands on the what? final hold, uh, the first hold I'm I'm standing on. I like, saw. I high noticed high that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so, I'm really close for doing the whole thing too. Like I I've, uh, I've 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 touched the final hold a few times, so I'm trying one seven like. It's the full, full board. And then our board is huge too at Coyote. It's really big. So I'm very, very close to do it. So maybe I can try to do it uh, in the next few weeks. We'll see. But That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. So yeah, Eve is doing two campus moves and his feet end up higher than the rung that he started on. It's just like absolutely mind-blowing. Um, this is another question from Daniel. Is there such thing as enough power? And I think, I think maybe we can ask the same thing about finger strength. Like, is there a point where you have enough and it's no longer like you've checked that box and you can focus on other things and you don't need to keep building it or is more always better with this stuff? Yeah, I think uh, there's definitely like, there's other things that like you can benefit a lot more, I think in climbing than just like, I think as climbers, we get focused a lot on the athletic uh, part of, of climbing, you know, like getting stronger, getting stronger fingers, like, you know, have to train, but uh, man, climbing is a very complex sport. I think we can benefit a lot from like tactics, psychology, and uh, yeah, same again, like nutrition. There's so many things like you can do mobility too. That's what I've been working on a lot. And it's like, man, like if, you, if, been, if you've been like super stiff and all of a sudden like you've gained some mobility, that just there, that kind of like shoots your grades right up because like it opens up everything, makes you can get your hips closer to the wall and like, so there's so many things and like, yeah, for sure. Like I think my, my fingers and my power is overkill, but it's fine. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But this yeah, is a question. This is a question from Xander. Has there ever been a point in your finger strength journey where you felt like your finger strength gains no longer translate to improving at climbing? And I'm still, I'm still making gains. I, I, I even awesome. like my age right now, I have to get more clever with it. Like, are you thirty six? Uh, is that right? Oh, what's that? Are you thirty six years old? Yeah, thirty six. Okay, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So yeah, so like I'm starting noticing the fast. My my metabolism starting to slow down. Recovery too takes a little bit longer. 
So I think I evened that out a little bit by focusing a little bit on my nutrition and stuff, which has been helping quite a bit. Focus a lot on mobility too. That's one thing I've been losing a lot uh, recently. Mm. But uh, yeah, to go back to the fingers, yeah, I'm still making uh, I'm still making gains. Like the past few weeks, I just like keep circling everything, everything. And strength too, like uh, keep breaking my new PRs and stuff. Wow. So it's super exciting, but I have to get a lot smarter about it. I can't, for me, like um like a training protocol, like a lot of them we find where like, it's the same thing, like four sets of this weight or something over like this amount of weight. It doesn't work anymore. Like I have to structure uh, one of the coaches that I, I like a lot and I gain a lot from, from looking at his uh, programming was uh, Boris Shako. It's like a Russian uh, powerlifting coach, very famous. Uh, and oh man, I gain, I've learned so much for looking at his programming and how he structured. He always plays with the int- intensity during the week. So there's heavy days, medium, mm. low and stuff. And it always, it, for me, that was a big one. When I started doing grip and looking at a lot of those things, and then I started applying to my climbing, same thing. I got like another, you know, another, another level up just from changing that. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a strength coach named Charles Poliquin, um, who unfortunately has passed away, but I used to read a lot of his stuff. And um, he talked about that a lot. And he was really good at explaining that, like, the program, you know, he he took bench press as an example, like the program that gets you to a 150 pound bench is not the same program that's going to get you from 150 to 175. And that's not the same program that's going to get you from 175 to 200. And it's probably worth like really focusing on that because it's tempting for me to want to ask you like what you're doing now and all this stuff, but you, you followed a much more simple protocol, you know, so far in your training and you already have like some of the strongest fingers in the world. So now you're making things more complicated to break through a plateau, but it sounds like that wasn't necessarily necessary earlier on in in your journey. Yeah. I think like, uh, like, I think, when you're starting off too, like almost anything you're going to, you're going to go to the gym, you'll do a session, you'll, you'll improve. Like anything is going to be, it's going to be enough to uh, get a new, a more adaptation. You're going to re- you're going to improve a lot faster. Your, your rate, anytime you're going to start a new sport, your rate of development is going to be really fast. The curve is going to be fast. And then it gets a little bit harder as you get higher. You're going to need a lot more stimulus as you get, how you're going to need more load. So you have to train more days and like structure, like, yeah, you yeah you have to be a little bit more clever, and you have to have more days add into it and stuff like that. And yeah, it gets a little bit more complicated, but yeah, you can still do it even uh, when you get a bit older. This is a question from Michael that I love. What is the smallest edge you can hang one hand? What about with two hands? Uh, the smallest is six six millimeter edge, and that one's hard. Like I have to prepare specifically for it. Usually, like. It's one of those things where I have to kind of like cycle just for that exercise to train to to do it in, in a safe way too that I feel like, you know, it's not dangerous for me. And that's one handed body weight? One handed. And then recently, <laughs> last few weeks, I did uh, one handed, but 75 kilos, which is uh, not pulling though, a lift. So maybe like a two, 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 three second lift because it's slower because of the, when it gets heavy, I, I, my, my velocity goes down. But uh, yeah, 75 kilos with one hand on, uh, on uh, six millimeter is the most I've ever pulled. How much yeah. do you weigh? Right now, 65. Wow. Okay. So you're pulling 10 kilos more than your body weight off the floor on a six mil crimp. 
Yeah, it's, it's getting pretty. <laughs> it's getting cool. That's insane, dude. I love yeah. it. That's so cool. And actually, I wanted to say this earlier on. You were talking about we were talking about grip and these other athletes in the grip sport and how you're a small athlete compared to these like power lifter guys and stuff. But you're really inspiring to me because you look like a gymnast, like you're jacked. And as far as climbers go, usually you have an, an atypical build for someone who's hanging on the smallest holds with one arm like that. And I just, I draw so much inspiration from that because that's kind of like, that's still new to to me you know that kind of like flips the paradigm of of what it what it means to climb on tiny holds and be a strong climber on crimps and stuff on its head like you're proof that it works if you just get really really strong and train in an intelligent way you can have muscle and be built and still climb on the smallest holds yeah i think when it comes to mass uh as long as the mass is at the right spot like i mean you're gonna get you're going to get benefit from it. Like, I mean, if you get like, for me, my, my forearms are, are bigger than my calves. So like, <laughs> I mean, I have small calves, but like the muscles is where it really matters, you know, like, so like the pulling muscle, my back, my lats are really big. And then my, my, uh, my forearms. So like, it's where I'm going to get a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of benefits from it. So it's a, I think I have like a big musculature, but it's, it's, it's not all around. It's like where exactly where I needed to, to perform. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a question from David. How does Eve look after his skin, especially splits and tears? And I think that's for someone who can hang a six mil with one hand. I think that's a really good question. Any tips for skin? So one is to be careful the way you train. So like when I talked earlier about the head size, so be very careful. Like, so there's certain edge for me that, they, they split, they cut me right here, like where the, uh, the first knuckle is. Mm. So I try to stay away from those. So I, I found like under eight, as long as my skin is built up, like if you start doing a lot of small edges too, you're going to build a lot of calluses. So that's, that's one way to do it naturally. And then there's obviously there's a products kind of like antihydral or uh rhino skin or something like that. That'll kind of like speed up uh, that process. So I try not to use it too much because I noticed that my skin gets too freaking hard and like uh, too too uh, too dry, so it 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 affects me if I'm training on the on the board or I go to the gym. Then it's too uh, it's a bit too much for me. If I use it, I use it in the off season, like in the summer, or like if I I get really sweaty hands, and I'll put a very light coat, but just like one application. And for me, usually that's good for a few months after that. Okay. Yeah. Well, wow. oh, yeah. Okay. And then, uh, yeah. And if I start to see little tears or anything like that, I'll try to cut it with the razor or anything like that. But my skin is usually is pretty good. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have any, uh, I even like, you know, I, like right now I do a lot of crimps and I don't get any cuts or anything like that right now. That's a superpower, man. That's awesome. Or <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like you're really smart too. Like you just quit before you cut yourself you open. just have to be yeah i think that's one of the issue too like if, if you're climbing outside and you start to see that it's gonna pull you should stop then or tape it before it actually like opens because then you're then you're screwed for a week right mm -hmm. you're gonna have a hole in uh yeah so you just have to be very careful on yeah if you tape try to try to tape before it splits or something 
Well, this has been awesome, man. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I, I have had a lot few, of fun. I have just a few more questions to, to kind of wrap up with, and then I'll yeah. let you go. Um, I wanted to ask this, like, what are you the most proud of? And, and you can look at your climbing life, your specific climbing accomplishments, stuff you've done in grip, or anything else outside of climbing. But what do you feel most proud of so far? Um. Yeah, obviously, like uh, some of the, the development I've done in the local areas, like co contributing to like, like opening those new boulders is something that I'm really happy. And I think like the next generation of climbers in my local community are going to be able to benefit from and like go test themselves. So that I think that's one thing that I'm, I'm very happy to have been able to do as a climber. And then, uh, yeah, I think one of the other exciting one was like, uh, winning like the world championships was something exciting just hearing like your national anthem or something like that was something that i've never experienced before mm. so that's something that i'm always going to remember as well that's awesome um one of my favorite videos i've seen of you this is on instagram it, it was a recent one and you're in your little training garage whatever uh training dungeon and you're doing a lock off i think on a ring with one arm like holding that and then do you have two daughters is that right yeah one of yeah. your daughters comes up and you like pick her up and you do a bicep curl with your daughter while you're holding the lock off. And then your older daughter comes up and you do the same with her, um, which is just amazing. But I wanted to ask, are your kids into any of this stuff? Do, do they, are yeah. they into climbing? Are they interested? Yeah. So my, my, both of my daughters are in uh, gymnastics and competitive, like pre pre-competitive and competitive gymnastics. So they're still very young, but uh, yeah, so they're really into that. And then, uh, yeah, they do come like, my younger one, I bring to the climbing gym usually once a week. And my uh, older one, she started training or coming with the team as well to train with the competitive team. And like, so I try not to pressure her too much, but because she already does so much, so, so much gymnastics, but yeah, she's really get into it. And uh, yeah, they have, they're, 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 they're really good. Yes. I'm excited <laughs> for them to, uh, I hope, I hope they, uh, yeah, they get really into climbing and it's been, and that's like when I got, uh, when my kids are start, just starting to get a little bit older, like around three or four, that's when I started bringing them outside. And I really gained, uh, I started falling in love again with like outdoor climbing. You know, it was like, it was our activity. I would just like bring mm. the girls. We went, we do like a little picnic, do some climbing, you know, like a way to bond with, uh, with the kids and stuff. So that's how I started like working a lot on like developing a lot of the local boulders because that's was our activity. Once a week, we start, we go, we go look at some boulders, brush some stuff, and then, you know, have a little walk in the woods and stuff. So that's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a big part of, uh, yeah, why I've been started climbing outside. Hmm. Well, and as such, an, as such a successful athlete yourself, what is it that you, what, what do you hope for, for your two daughters um, with gymnastics or climbing or anything else? Yeah, I just hope that, uh, I, I think one thing that's important is like they, keep enjoying they enjoy the sport that they're doing too and not just doing it because they have to so that's one thing that's really important for me that's why i try not to pressure them too too much into like doing it like you got to do it like i want them to enjoy sports that's that's my main goal that i have for for my kids is to be active and actually enjoy it and uh, yeah build good connections too with them like you know traveling to competitions and stuff like that i think that's the the re a fun part to to spend uh uh, as a family too. And, uh, yeah, building uh, strong family relations and stuff. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's great. Um, final question for you for, for generations listening to this conversation years from now, you, you've maybe got the strongest fingers of anyone I've had on the podcast. Um, but we don't have to talk about fingers. 
Is there any wisdom you'd like to pass on? Anything you want people to know or leave people with um, to wrap up this conversation? Anything that feels important uh, to share? For the fingers and stuff for like training? Th this could be like one final piece of finger training advice. This could be like life lessons, something something that you feel um, is important that you've been thinking about recently. This is whatever you want. Anything come to mind that we haven't talked about. I think the most important is like to listen to your body. And it goes back to when we were saying like to monitor the internal load. Anytime we're training, we get really excited, especially when we beat like new PRs or we like we're, we're making progress just to relax and kind of like reassess to and like and not go overboard and like try to listen to your body if you're fatigued if you're tired or something like that there's a reason your body is giving you this response so yeah i think a lot of like the injuries and stuff like that is like uh is related to that so yeah, to really try to focus like focus and then like try to enjoy the process not focus on the result but focus if you're a competitor or you have an outdoor project or something like that. That's something that I've started focusing a lot. I, I've been uh, focusing a lot on sports psychology recently and not to focus on the, on the result and what you want to do, but focus on your journey there and like on your performance, try to focus on what you can control. So, um, so what you can do to, to be like, you know, to, to do your best on that and focus on that. Not exactly like, am I going to do the bold and like get really frustrated if you can't do it, but just focus on like doing your best to perform like, you know, at hundred percent, like when you're going to do that. So try to do everything you can to get, put everything on your side so that you can perform at your best. So I think that might be something that people could benefit from, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I, I think that's so powerful and, um, something I've really been thinking about lately and kind of internalizing is that there's really no end point, you know, like if you have this project and you train for it and something you're obsessed over, it feels really good to send it, but like, it doesn't make you a different person. You know, you haven't yeah. arrived at some like satisfied version of yourself that's going to be content yeah. for the rest of your life. Right. So if you're not enjoying the journey, I mean, it's kind of like, what's the point? Because most people listening to this, if you finally send your project a week later, you're going to pick a new one and just start over, mm -hmm. you know, so you, 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 uh, yeah. yeah, you, you, better, you better just enjoy it while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing too, like for comp climbers or anything like that is to try to be present too. Like, that's another thing that people can, that can help a lot is to be like in the moment the, some of the really best climbers I've seen or like really focus on like that moment. They're not thinking about what happened like on the past attempt or last time they weren't something like that or what might happen in the future, you know, like, oh, if I don't do it in this try, you know, I have to go after and like, I only have one day left. Try to just focus on the present and that boulder. Don't think about anything else. Just focus on that one task and that's going to help quite a bit as well. Awesome. Well, Eve, thank you again, man. Really fun to do this. Um, I'm, Thanks I'm for really, having me. Yeah. yeah, I'm really glad we connected. It was it was um, really fun to get to know you a bit in this conversation, and I just wish you the best of luck in Waco. Um, I'll keep you Thanks, posted. And, uh, yeah, if you're uh, if you're still in uh, in in town, just let me know, and it'll be fun to meet uh, before you 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 head out. Yeah, I, I'd love it. I'd love it. That'd be so fun. Um, I hope you get some cold weather. It is getting a little bit warm here, but. Um, it's often windy this time of year. So if you if you do well with slightly warmer temps and wind and dry conditions, um, you'll have you'll have a good shot at that at that thing. But uh, yeah, thank you again. And hit a fire in the basement. 
<laughs> yeah. I'll put the furnace in the basement. <laughs> nice. nice. But yeah, thank you, Eve, for everyone listening. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. I hope we got to all of them. I think we covered most of the stuff that you guys asked about. Um, I will put links to Eve's Instagram in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com, along with that video that we've been talking about of him climbing so what his v15 and i will also link to hopefully uh the research article that he mentioned i'll get that from from eve after this conversation as well as his spreadsheet that he uses to track training load i'll put all that stuff in the show notes at the nuggetclimbing.com for you guys and until next time thank you so much for listening Hey friends, before you go, be sure to check out Athletic Greens. I think of this stuff as all-in-one nutritional insurance when I am on the road and I love it. It's refreshing and it tastes good. I had some today and it's great. If you want to try it yourself, head over to athleticgreens.com nugget to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Also, be sure to check out Grasshopper Climbing. If you want to bring your consistency to the next level, consider getting a Grasshopper board for your home or garage. This thing is awesome, and I really think it might be the single most valuable training tool that exists when it comes to improving your climbing. So, check it out. You can find them at Grasshopper Climbing on Instagram or at grasshopperclimbing.com, and be sure to tell them I sent you. And finally, be sure to check out Chalk Cartel for high-performance climbing chalk. Head over to chalkcartel.com, use code NUGGET for 20% off your first order of excellent climbing chalk. I actually use this stuff. I love it, and I really like this company and what they're all about. So again, that's chalkcartel.com, and use code NUGGET for 20% off. And that is it, my friends. Thank you for listening to the very end. I appreciate you. Hope you have an amazing week. Best of luck with your grip and finger training. And we will see you next time. We got the rise up. We put the hammer right down. Why be like us?